So we're in the season of Advent, and Advent is a very interesting season. It's really about preparation, about waiting, uh, and actually a lot of it is about waiting for the coming of light. In case you wondered, that's why it's a little bit dimmer in this room today, because it reminds us uh, that we wait for the coming of light. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the light. Um, So what comes to mind when you think about wise men? Or, as the Bible says, magi. Think about that for a minute. I'd have you yell things out, but, well, you can if you want. But uh, some people think of three, threes. So some think of three kings, or three wise men, or three magi. Some people think of three other things. I don't know what that would be. Some people think of Christmas when they think of the magi, or the wise men. Some people think of astrology or horoscopes. It's one of the things I think of when I hear the term magi. I found out last week that there was a small child who often thought about Frankenstein. And he thought of the magi. Um, (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. When I was a kid... Uh, what I thought of when I thought of the Magi, I thought of those two fairly famous cities that the Magi were from. And uh, I googled them, and I can't find them on Google. And Google, of course, knows everything, right? So I don't know if maybe I was in error as a child, but as a kid, we used to sing a song that said that the three kings, or the Magi, were from two cities, and the one was called Ori, the other one was called Tar. You might have also sung the song, We three kings, Ori and Tar. <laughs> yeah. Lots of funny thoughts when it comes to thinking about the Magi. Uh, some are true, some aren't. And you could read the story again and see if some of the thoughts that you had were actually true or not. This year at Advent, we're focusing on The idea of uh, strangers or foreigners or welcoming people who might not be first-generation or who might be first-generation Canadians. The significant part of the story of the Incarnation to welcome foreigners, to welcome people who don't fit, welcome people who aren't part of the scenery, part of the place. And it's good to remember that Advent, as we remember that waiting for the coming of Jesus the first time, that we also wait for the coming of Jesus the second time. In fact, in most of the last 2,000 years, the focus of this part of the year has been more to remind ourselves about the second coming of Jesus, even than the first. Then he will come as triumphant king. But the stories of the first coming help us to think about, to remember, and to look forward to the coming of the second. So we're looking at the story of the Magi today, and I'm going to read the passage from Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. And uh, good time to just, if you'd like, follow along on the screen. It's probably too dark to read it in your Bible, if you have eyes like mine. But uh, whatever, maybe you have the big print and the, the headlight that the miners use. Nope. <clears throat> Let me read for you. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, 
He was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. If you want to see where that's from, it's from the prophet Micah, chapter 5 in the Old Testament. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. What a, what a great story. A few ideas that I think we might see here. And I want to start with a bit of a disclaimer. So this is a caveat. It does not anywhere say in the Bible that there were three wise men or three magi. In fact, in some traditions, like the Eastern Church, they believe there were 12 of them. And I think there may be an image of 12 magi on the screen any second. There they've come from the East. See, 12. I don't know why they think there were 12. Uh, I know that most of us think there were three because there were three gifts. And obviously, each one had a gift, right? Not necessarily. Uh, Another thing is the Magi undoubtedly did not visit Jesus in the manger. Um, One passage says, or our passage says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And earlier it says, after Jesus was born. Um... So most people believe that Jesus was probably closer to two years old when the Magi showed up. And so you might say, well, then why do we have wise men showing up at the nativity scene in our Christmas productions? You might even see that tonight. One answer might be that our Christmas story really is about incarnation, more than about a birth. It's more about God becoming man than about a baby. And because the story of the Magi is so important, it's so important in the story of incarnation, I think that's why it's historically been stuck into the Christmas story. In some traditions, they don't. They celebrate the Magi later in the year. Uh, But we do it around Christmas. And I think it's okay, even though probably they didn't show up with the shepherds. Uh, I think it's okay because it tells us about incarnation. We'll talk a little bit more about that this morning. There are at least three approaches to welcome or to embracing strangers, foreigners in this story. I think they all relate to faith, and they all relate to how maybe we might understand relating to foreigners or strangers, and even how that happens today. I want to acknowledge something. Um, There's very likelihood that there are people in this room right now who are in the category of stranger or foreigner. (laughs) Um, Not just because you're strange. I know we have that too. 
But in addition, maybe people who are very newly arrived in Canada. And so I want to acknowledge that. And as I talk about, sometimes in the context like this, you end up talking about somebody as if they're not here. So I want to recognize that uh, there could be people in the room here who would be in that category. But I also want to acknowledge that the vast, vast, vast majority, almost all of us, are descendants of immigrants. I know of one person in the room who wouldn't be in that category. But the rest of us would be. And so as we think about this, maybe it's important for us to remember back uh, beyond our memory to the people who came who were our ancestors, who were foreigners, who were strangers, who found this land very difficult. My dad's family came to Canada, did not speak English. And my grandfather on my mother's side never learned English, didn't think it was necessary to know English. Um, He was a, a foreigner, a stranger. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. There could be three different uh, examples of welcome in this story. Let's look at the three. The first one would be maybe Herod with the Magi. Now, you're wondering, what kind of welcome was that? Um, The welcome was one of deception. Herod did not welcome the Magi. He attempted to deceive them. By all counts, Herod the king was a megalomaniac. Um, and very insecure, very afraid of losing his power, losing his throne. And so he deceived the Magi by pretending to want to worship Jesus as well. But secretly, he wanted to kill Jesus. That seems like really not a very nice thing to do. So it says Herod called the Magi and inquired diligently. He cross-examined them to try to figure out when the star appeared. Now, the reason he was doing that was because he was actually doing math. He was trying to figure out how old this child would be. Because if the child was born when the star appeared, probably that's how old the child would be now. And they say about two years. That's what the Magi told him. And so Herod ended up ordering the killing of all the baby boys in Bethlehem under two years old, based on when the Magi first saw the star. It's really a horrific part of the story. A terrible part of the story. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were warned in a dream. And so they escaped, and they escaped the massacre. So we can at least learn from Herod's example that it's probably not good to deceive foreigners. Make sense? Second story. Second part of the story is the Magi with Jesus. So um, basically, the Magi welcomed Jesus, right? They were totally different than what Herod did. What's interesting to me is in the story, it says a number of times that their intent was to worship Jesus. Um, In my memory, we've always focused on the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, or Frankenstein, depending on what you read there. Um, But the passage actually focuses on worship first. When the Magi go to Herod, they say, we want to find him and worship him. And when they got there, it says they worship. The first thing they did. Later, they brought out the gifts. It's also interesting that the word used for worship there is the same word that's used the most often in the Bible to talk about worship that is given to God, to Yahweh. Now, for us, this seems, okay, fine, you worship Jesus because he's son of God. He's very God, very man. He's sovereign. He's the ruler of the universe. But at the time of the telling of this story, that was still very controversial. The idea that you could worship a human being 
was very, very controversial. And so one of the things we might miss that's powerful here is a statement about the divinity of Christ. The word that's used is the same word as the word that's used to worship Yahweh and to worship Almighty God, and that worship is reserved for God alone. So I think that's a really important part of the message here of the story. Um, The second thing they did was give gifts after they worshipped, or maybe even part of their worship. Maybe we focus too much on the gifts, and we should focus a little more on the worship, but we're going to talk about the gifts here for a moment. First gift was gold. Gold is often uh, the same as cash, right? Money. How do you survive? You have gold, you have cash, you have coins, you have money to be able to survive. A lot of people believe that this gold was actually what helped Mary and Joseph and the little Jesus get to Egypt. It helped them escape. And without that, that they would have had trouble. Um, imagine if they were in Bethlehem for two years, you know, why would they be there that long? Trying to get that census done? Trying to fill out the forms in triplicate? I don't know. But they finally had means, the gold, to leave. Very, very important gift. Another thing I wonder about when I think about gold is I wonder about danger. In that culture, to have a whole bunch of gold would have been something that could have put you at risk. Um, Many people believe that the Magi would have had an entourage, possibly a cavalry, possibly armed guards who would have traveled with them. They were well-known, important people from the east. Mary and Joseph did not have that. And so sometimes I wonder even about the miracle of safety as, the, as Mary and Joseph took this gold from the Magi and trekked off across country to Egypt. And they, didn't, they did it fast because they were warned in a dream and then they left. Um, pretty interesting part of the story that God protected them during that travel. The second gift is uh, incense, frankincense. Uh, incense is commonly thought of as a kingly gift. So a gift that is symbolic of royalty. But in the Bible, incense is often used in the context of talking about prayer. Uh, God gave instructions for constructing the altar of incense, which was set in the holy place in front of the veil before the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. Every day a priest burned incense on the altar within the tabernacle. And Exodus 30, 34 describes uh, the exact composition of the holy incense. And it was supposed to burn perpetually before the Lord. And in Leviticus, we read that strange incense or inappropriately made incense was actually offensive to God and forbidden. And there's a story where people lost their lives because they didn't do the incense right. Later in the temple, about a half a pound of incense was burned every day. And so for Jews, the incense was to be a symbol of prayer. Psalm Psalm 141, uh, written by King David, says, May my prayer be set before you like incense. And incense is still used in many churches today as a symbol of prayer. So possibly that was part of the symbolism of frankincense. Um, Possibly. We don't know. But there's still this ongoing sense of worship, giving of gold, and giving of symbol of prayer. The third gift was probably the most intriguing, and that's myrrh. Uh, Myrrh is, is a spice, and it's often used for embalming. So can you imagine if somebody brought a gift to a small child, a two-year-old, that was used for preparing someone for death or after death. 
Doesn't that seem like a strange gift to you? It does to me. There are a couple of things we might know about that. Uh, Some people think maybe it was a more of a medicinal kind of myrrh. Some people think it actually was a prophetic gift. It was stating right at the birth of Christ that he came to die. He came as a, as a sacrifice, as an offering. Um, for sure, it would have been worth a significant amount of money. So what we see in the actions of the Magi was worship, that, that act of bowing down before the Christ child in worship, but also gifts and giving gifts that were extravagant. The passage says they opened their treasures. Now, I imagine treasure chests, right? Like they said, you know, servants bring in the chests and they popped them open and out came all these gifts. I don't get the feeling that they said, okay, now we've bowed and worshipped. Now we'll just reach in our pocket and pull out a couple of little things and here you go. I don't get the sense of that at all. I get the sense that this was an extravagant offering, maybe even overwhelming. For Mary and Joseph. <clears throat> All right, third part of the story uh, might be this, the part where J- Mary and Joseph welcome the Magi. The term Magi uh, is actually the one in the Bible. It's a Latin word that ends up in the Greek, and um, it means magicians, where we get the word magic from. Uh, some people believe this refers to the priestly caste related to Zoroastrianism, which focused on the study of the stars. That's why they were looking at the stars and seeing stuff happen. Kind of another whole side story that the universe lined up something to point out to people the birth of the Messiah. Magi were almost certainly Gentiles from Persia or somewhere over there, and there is no evidence that the Magi were loyal to Yahweh, to the God of Israel. Now, that might not seem like much, except when you start to think about Mary and Joseph, good, solid Jewish people who had pagan Gentiles coming to visit. There's another story in the New Testament where Peter is invited to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. Peter's actually nervous. He said, I don't want to go to the house of a Gentile. What if I get defiled? What if he tries to serve me something I can't eat? What am I going to do? There's, there's a nervousness in the culture of the time for good Jewish people about Gentiles and about connecting with Gentiles. Yet we don't see any of that nervousness in this story. Instead, we see welcome. We see receiving. We see that the gifts are seen as good. So Mary and Joseph, as their way of welcoming the Magi, received gifts from them. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. This is amazing, even though the givers were not worshipers of Yahweh, at least not up to that point. All right, a few concluding comments, thoughts that we might maybe take from this passage. Um, there was a study recently that found that um, attitudes toward immigration in the United States are actually pretty negative. So 70-some percent of Americans say we don't have a favorable impression of immigration. In Canada, it was actually way better, somewhere closer to 30%. So that means 70% of Canadians has a, have a, had a positive idea of immigration. I think that's interesting, 
But that would still mean that a number of us in this room, maybe even, would have a pretty negative idea about immigration. We learn from the story about Herod that it is not good to deceive foreigners. And it seems like a no-brainer, but what if we take it further and say, it's not good to be racist toward foreigners either. It's actually good to be welcoming to foreigners, to people who aren't part of your nation. Basically, that means it's good to be positive about immigration. That could be a challenge for some of us. Um, When you think of how do you do that, well, probably being physically welcoming is important. How we talk, how we approach uh, people who aren't like us. There was a story that recently came out in another context where a person said, maybe it's important not to notice people who are different than you. Interesting. Well, we learn that it is important to welcome uh, and not deceive. The second thing we learn from the Magi is it's good to offer extravagant gifts. It's good. They were received. It was appropriate. Uh, they welcomed that. So my question today is what kind, of Advent, what kind of extravagant gifts will we give this Advent season? Following the model of the Magi, following the model of worship that we see in this passage. I guess I would say, <laughs> give. Give to the Advent project. Give to your church. Give to need. Wonderful way of celebrating Advent. A wonderful way of celebrating the coming of Christ. Third thing. This is a really interesting one, but part of hospitality also involves receiving. Receiving gifts. We see that Mary and Joseph received gifts from the Magi, even though they were strange people that they didn't know from another culture and they didn't even believe the same way. They still received. Recently, uh, our church sponsored a Muslim refugee family. We talked about how we want to do that again. And I think that was a really rich and meaningful experience for a lot of people who were part of it. And, And it was good. And I'm glad that we're doing it again. Something strange happened just a little while ago. The, the family actually made a donation to the church, a cash donation to the church. You know what the first response is to that? Oh, you don't have to give to us. We give to you, you don't give to us. Now, I don't think there was any, any negative intent there at all, but one of the things that kind of hit me as I was thinking about that, especially related to this story, is sometimes during the season of Advent, we actually need to welcome gifts. It's hard for those of us who are really wealthy by world standards to welcome gifts from people who aren't. But sometimes that's important. A number of years ago, I was part of a church where we um, decided we wanted to be more incarnational on Incarnation Day, so on December 25th. And so one of the things we decided to do is to regularly, every year, go spend a number of hours on Christmas Day at the local drug rehab center. One of the things we learned fairly quickly is that not all rehabbing drug addicts are poor. You kind of think, oh, this must be homeless people or something like that. No, some people drive up to the rehab center in BMWs uh, because they can be drug addicts too. And as we were uh, serving one time, one of the things that we did as part of our tradition was we brought gifts. And they weren't expensive gifts. They were typically scarves and mitts and socks and stuff like that. But they were wrapped. And we'd bring whole families into, into this context and give gifts. And there was a woman who's, who was very offended 
that we wanted to give her a gift. And especially a cheap gift, because these weren't expensive scarves and toques and socks. She was offended by that. And she stomped out of the room. Now, probably trying to recover from drug addiction would make you offended at almost anything, but about 20 minutes later, she came back, and she was actually weeping. And she said to me, she says, I want to apologize. I would like to receive the gift. And one of our kids gave her a gift that I'm sure she could have easily bought herself, but it was so important for her to receive the gift. So possibly the most important question about receiving gifts today is will we receive Christ? Maybe you're someone who received Christ for the first time many, many years ago. Or maybe you're someone who's never received the gift of Jesus. The Bible says that if you receive him, you can become sons of God. You can become heirs with Christ. So today I ask, will you receive Jesus again this season, this Advent season? The old nativity song says, How silently, how silently the wondrous gift was given. For God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his come, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, The dear Christ enters in.